This episode of Hyper Channel is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, this is Michael Dorn, Lieutenant Commander Worf from Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hailing frequencies open, you've tapped into Trek FM's Hyper Channel. I'm Luke Weir, and I'm so excited to finally talk about everything we learned about Star Trek Discovery at Comic-Con and Star Trek Las Vegas this year. But first, let's get caught up on some other non-convention topics. CBS All Access is coming to Canada. The streaming service, which has only been available in the United States thus far, will be launching in Canada in 2018. We don't have a specific launch date yet. Canadian listeners are probably wondering what this means for Star Trek Discovery, and at this point it probably doesn't change anything. Bell Media acquired exclusive distribution rights from CBS, so when CBS All Access launches, it likely won't have Discovery in its lineup. Discovery will still premiere on CTV, then continue to air on Space and Z, as well as Bell Media's streaming service. Crave TV. CBS CEO Les Moonves said that CBS All Access is growing faster than we anticipated domestically and now represents a whole new opportunity internationally as well. By going direct to consumer around the world, we will facilitate new connections between the global audiences and our industry-leading premium content, end quote. Zoe Saldana, who portrays Lieutenant Ahura in the Kelvin Timeline films, is launching a Latino-focused media company. The startup, called Bisei, aims to create cultural storytelling targeting the millennial and Gen Z audience. The name Bisei comes from the verb to be in two languages, be in English and say in Spanish. Zoe Saldana is the founder and CEO of the company, and in a statement she said, quote, I'm so excited to be leading Bisei, a truly uplifting brand that fills a niche for young audiences craving positive portrayals of the modern Latino experience in America, end quote. Bisay is expected to debut by the end of 2017. Chris Pine is working on a new television series with director Patty Jenkins, who he last worked with on Wonder Woman. The Kelvin Timeline's Captain Kirk will executive produce and star in all six episodes of the series called One Day She'll Darken, which will air on TNT this fall. One Day She'll Darken will tell the story of a woman who was given away by her birth mother to a black restroom attendant in a casino in 1949. Chris Pine will play Jay Singletary, a former Marine turned paparazzo. Pine is also about to start filming his upcoming Netflix film, Outlaw King. A recent Entertainment Weekly story about Star Trek Discovery's production revealed some new context and details about why Brian Fuller departed the series after being so passionate about bringing Star Trek back to television. And this isn't just based on rumors. The reporter who worked on this story received their information from sources directly involved with the production of Discovery. First, it turns out that he did actually want to make Discovery an anthology series similar to American Horror Story, even though he initially dismissed that idea when rumors started swirling in the media. 
In this format, each season would have featured a new story, a new setting, and a new cast of characters. It would have definitely been a bold new direction for Star Trek, but apparently it was too bold for CBS, which wanted to create a single serialized show and see how it performed. Another factor that caused some issues was the decision to bring on David Samel to direct Discovery's pilot. That decision was made by the studio without Fuller's approval, and the two clashed during pre-production. There was also budgetary issues, as production costs were exceeding the $6 million per dollar episode budget allotted for the show. And, of course, there was another issue that was already public knowledge. Brian Fuller was having to split his time between pre-production on Discovery and production of his star series, American Gods. To make matters worse, just after CBS had pushed Discovery's premiere date to May, Brian Fuller cast Sonequa Martin-Green in the leading role. Now, the issue wasn't with her. Fuller was quite excited to cast her. The issue here was that AMC wouldn't let her work on any other projects until her last episode of The Walking Dead aired. So that forced yet another delay, pushing Discovery's premiere date to the fall. In October of last year, CBS asked Fuller to step down as showrunner, and his collaborators and head writers Aaron Harberts and Gretchen Berg took over showrunner duties. Some of his ideas were kept, but others were scrapped, such as the heavy allegories and complexities of Season one's storyline and his concepts for more subdued versions of TOS uniforms. Recently, when Fuller was asked about his thoughts on the first Discovery trailer, he paused, then said, quote, I was happy to see a black woman and an Asian woman in command of a starship, end quote. Alright, let's dive into what we learned about Discovery at the cast's very first conventions, Comic-Con and Star Trek Las Vegas. First, if you somehow haven't seen the latest Discovery trailer, we'll link to that down in the show notes. And also, while you're there, you can check out a collection of videos from panels, interviews, a trailer breakdown, and other cool stuff from the cons. Let's start with some details that we learned about Discovery's diverse cast of characters. Possibly the biggest reveal came from Sonequa Martin-Green, who announced that Michael Burnham is Spock's adopted half-sister. Burnham's parents were killed when she was young, so Spock's parents, Sarek and Amanda, raised her. This means that although she's human, she is very familiar with Vulcan ideology. Quote, It's interesting to see this world through the eyes of a first officer, because the path of upward mobility is something that we haven't really seen in this way. So you're following someone who aspires to be greater. You see the effects of my environment, of my background, of my upbringing, the effects of the people that I'm around, all affecting that path. Michael Burnham is a principled woman. The ideologies of Starfleet are emblematic to her personality, for sure. But she also has this Vulcan indoctrination. So you're seeing all of that clash, end quote. Lieutenant Saru is Discovery's highly anticipated alien character, portrayed by Doug Jones. Saru is a member of a prey species on this planet, so his species has evolved with heightened survival instincts, and he's the first of his kind to make it into Starfleet. Doug Jones shared that, quote, Producers said Saru is the Spock, or the data of the series. And those are beloved characters that I always connect with whenever I watch the past incarnations of Star Trek, end quote. He also revealed that Saru and Burnham will have a brother-sister dynamic. James Frain shared how he'd be bringing his iteration of Sarek to the screen. I feel a great sense of responsibility to Mark Leonard's performance because he was the first to establish the character and did such a fantastic job. So I had him very much in mind, but I also felt like we changed so much in our lives. Mark Leonard's performance is where he ends up, but he's lived for 200 years. So who was he 50 years or 100 years before that? Who is this guy who marries a human being when humans have an emotional culture and Vulcans believe that emotion causes war? It simply has to be repressed because it's dangerous, yet here it is, playing with danger. That seems to be kind of exciting to me, end quote. 
Shazad Latif revealed that we're going to be introduced to his character as a prisoner of war in a prison cell. Quote, he's gone through some horrible things, and we follow him as he tries to find the sort of man that he is as he comes back to the ship, end quote. When asked about his recasting early on in the series, he shared that he was given the opportunity to try out for the role early on before filming started, and it turned out to be a good fit, so they gave him the role. Mary Wiseman portrays cadet Sylvia Tilly, who is a fourth-year cadet at Starfleet. Quote, she ends up being roommates with Michael Burnham on the Discovery, and Michael becomes kind of a mentor to her, and a very unlikely friendship ensues. She works in engineering with Lieutenant Stamets. She's a cool girl, end quote. Lieutenant Stamets, played by Anthony Rapp, has the distinction of being the Prime Timeline's first official gay character. Stamets is an anastronomycologist, or a fungus expert, whose research will be key to Starfleet's conflict with the Klingons. According to showrunner Aaron Harberts, Lieutenant Stamets is, quote, super specific, he's persnickety and difficult and brilliant, and he isn't going to give an inch, and he has very strong feelings about why he's on the Discovery. Rapp told Entertainment Weekly that he's, quote, really excited and happy when a gay character is part of a story, especially when a gay character is created in a complex, human, non-stereotypical, interesting way, and you get to see his relationship over time, treated as any other relationship would be treated, end quote. We also found out about a new character being added to the show named Dr. Hugh Culber, who will be portrayed by Wilson Cruz. Dr. Culber is a medical officer who is romantically involved with Lieutenant Stamets. Cruz was quick to note that he's not the chief medical officer, but he is a ship's doctor. Quote, Just like every other character in the series, Culber is a genius in his field in his own right and is truly in awe of the people that he fights with. And in playing him, I draw inspiration from doctors and nurses and other medical people in battlefields where they have to really balance the mission and the well-being and health of their fellow soldiers. So there's that, and there's the element of working with and loving someone you work with. That's an interesting dynamic to play as well, end quote. You might have seen Wilson Cruz in series like 13 Reasons Why, Red Band Society, Pushing Daisies, Party of Five, My So-Called Life, and many more. According to IMDb, Dr. Colbert will be in five episodes of Discovery's first season. As for the Klingons, Mary Chifo shared that her character Lorel is Takovma's battle deck commander and his chief strategist, although she notes that Lorel is also a fierce warrior. Quote, a fun fact about Laurel is that she's a woman of two Klingon houses. Her father was House Takovma, but her mother was House Mokai, which is this matriarchal Klingon house that is known for being spies. We're kind of deceptive. We work in the shadows, which is part of why Laurel works the way she does within Takovma's ship. That's the kind of flavor of Laurel that you get, so she has kind of both worlds. She's fierce and strong, but she knows how to manipulate a situation to her advantage in a way that I don't know that you've quite seen in the Klingon world. Next, let's get into some things we've learned about the new Klingons we'll be seeing in Discovery. As I'm sure you're aware, there's been a lot of discussion about the distinctly different look of these Klingons. The initial response from executive producer Aaron Harberts was, quote, In the different versions of Trek, the Klingons have never been completely consistent. We will introduce several different houses with different styles. Hopefully fans will become more invested in the characters than worried about the redesign, end quote. As you can probably guess, this explanation didn't satisfy everyone in the Star Trek fan community. But we got more details in a panel at Star Trek Las Vegas that focused on the creature designs for the show. When talking about the design of the Klingons, designer Kevin Page knew it wasn't going to be easy. Quote, I was brought on to start redesigning Klingons, which is a dangerous thing to do in general, as I found as I reviewed online comments. End quote. He went on to describe Brian Fuller's vision for these reimagined Klingons while he was still working on Discovery. 
Quote, the words that he used were, the Klingons are self-aware aestheticians, and I want them to appear less brutish and more conscious. He made references to Baroque and samurai styles in terms of armor, end quote. As for the Klingons' heads, they started by designing their skulls and then went from there to create the general look of Discovery's Klingons. Page pointed out that their bald look was a mandate from Brian Fuller. And when explaining how the show would justify this new look, designer Glenn Hetrick said that, quote, The Empire is very big. They don't all grow up on Kronos. They don't all live on the same planets, and certainly those different planets would have different environments. So how would the cultures have evolved differently? We tried to come up with cultural axioms for each house so that each looks different like our cultures do here on Earth, end quote. You can read more about this and see concept art for the Klingons, Saru, and more in an article that I'll be linking to down in the show notes. We also learned from executive producer Gretchen Berg that Klingons will not be speaking in English, but in their native Klingon tongue with subtitles. They are staying true to the established Klingon language, though, so diehard fans who have learned Klingon should be able to follow the conversation. And it's a well-known fact about Klingons in the original series that they were allegories for Russians and the Cold War. But this is changing in the new series, and I'll let Aaron Harbert explain why. Quote, Something that is really bubbling up in the United States right now is isolationism. Our country has so many different philosophies. Do we extend a hand? Do we shut it down? Those are two viewpoints that are being expressed. The Klingons are not necessarily the Russians anymore. I think we will see far more of them in people in the United States and different factions in the United States. And that is not to say that they are bad, but what we really wanted to do is understand two differing points of view and really explore it and then find a way to come together. How do we bring everyone back together? What do we do? What does it take? It is a big challenge for us, but that is what season one is all about. End quote. Let's get into a few things we learned about the production of Star Trek Discovery. There's been some more clarification about the kind of content we'll see on the show. Although Discovery is on a streaming platform and therefore doesn't have to stick to broadcast TV standards, the writers are keeping in mind the precedents that have been set by previous Star Trek series. Here's what Aaron Harberts had to say, quote, Every writer's impulse when you get to work on a streaming show with no parameters is to go crazy. But then you look at things like, how does nudity play on Star Trek? It feels weird. How about a lot of profanity on Trek? Not so great. I'm not saying that we're not doing some violent things or doing a bit of language, but what's important to the creative team is the legacy of the show, which is passed down from generation to generation. We want to make sure we're not creating a show that fans can't share with their families. You have to honor what the franchise is. So I wouldn't say we're not going much beyond a hard PG-13, end quote. One of the many buzzed-about news topics that came out of that big Entertainment Weekly cover story was that writers were supposedly not allowing Jason Isaacs to say the word God in any of his improvised lines. Specifically, at one point, he was ad-libbing the line, for God's sakes. Apparently, writer Kristen Baer explained to Isaacs how Gene Roddenberry specifically created a future where religion no longer existed, and to that, Isaacs jokingly asked her if he could drop an F-bomb instead. Based on that exchange, many people and news outlets speculated that the concept of God was not allowed on Discovery. However, Gretchen Berg later clarified to the Nerdist that God is allowed on Discovery for religious and exclamation purposes, saying, quote, In our writer's room, it's something we discuss a lot. I don't necessarily agree with Isaac's quote. On a show about diversity and with different points of view, I feel like you have to accept that some people believe in God, some people want to worship a potato, and some don't want to believe in anything. I think there is room for that on Star Trek. I think it's actually been in this series quite a bit. They are allowed to say God. God fits into the patchwork of everything that is represented by Star Trek. End quote. 
Up next, I'd like to share an interview from Star Trek Las Vegas with you. Justin, one of the hosts on Earl Grey, our TNG show here on the Trek FM network, had a chance to talk to the product manager and the lead engineer on Star Trek Timelines. You'll hear some background noise since they did the interview on the convention floor, but it's definitely worth a listen. Check it out. So I'm here at Star Trek Las Vegas with Alex Engel, who's product manager at Disruptor Beam, and Paul Siegel, who's the lead software engineer uh, at Disruptor Beam. Yep. And they publish the mobile Star Trek game, Star Trek Timelines. So first, you know, for our listeners who might not be familiar with it, just tell us about the game. Yeah, uh, so the story of Star Trek Timelines is that there's been a temporal anomaly, and so all these different timelines are colliding in the same space at the same time. So you have characters from TNG meeting characters from the original series, uh, Voyager, DS9, they're all in the same place at the same time. Uh, so the game is really about collecting all your favorite crew and your favorite ships from all these different timelines, gathering them together, sending them out on missions, be it ship battles against other players or away missions to uh, you know go recover lost artifacts or who just knows what. Participating in tons of events, making yeah. sure that you get your, your favorite crew from your favorite episode. And it's everything from the standard crew, like we've got a lot of different variations of Captain Kirk and variations of Captain Picard, but also like one-offs that are really fun that you might want, you know, basically you might want to reference or, or or have your crew from that one particular episode. Like, if you love Data as Sherlock, then you can get Detective Data. If you loved, um, I think, uh, the guy who played Moriarty is here yeah, at the show. Yeah. Um, so you can get Moriarty in the game, the Professor yeah. Moriarty in the game. And so it's all these things, like a, a real depth of crew, almost 400 crew at yeah. this point. Yeah, almost 400 unique crew. Uh, right now, this weekend, we have, we have uh, events that run every weekend. This weekend's event is featuring uh, characters from the uh, sort of Captain Proton uh, stuff from Voyager when they were on the holodeck. And so you have these great black and white characters like uh, uh, Dr. Chaotica and um, Arachnia. Uh, Arachnia. Arachnia. Uh, we just yep. added the president of Earth, uh, the EMH as president of Earth and everything, which is fun. Yeah, wow. It's good times. Yeah, so uh, again, for those who aren't familiar, is there a charge for the game? How can you participate? It's a free-to-play game. Typically the way that free-to-play games work is uh, you can play through and earn things over time, uh, but then if you want to take uh, some shortcuts or get a whole bunch of these limited-time crew, then you would do that by buying Dilithium, which is our, our premium currency in-game. And uh, that's typically... Typically we have limited time crew and you can either choose to do actions in the game to get dilithium for free and then spend it on limited time crew or you could you know, buy them right now. Um, but that's how a lot of people will go ahead and, uh, and get their favorite crew. And the game's available on um, iOS and Android as well as uh, we're on Facebook. Uh, and we just launched recently on Steam. So yeah. if you want to play on PC, you can uh, download Steam yeah, and get, us, really get the game that way. Yeah. Okay, great. And so you have a big announcement about the game, right? Yes, yeah, so we decided we announced that we were working with uh, CBS on Star Trek Discovery. I think we're one of the first uh, gaming properties that's gone ahead and announced that they're working on Star Trek Discovery. But we're uh, we're super excited. We're going to be bringing uh, the first three crew. We're going to be bringing is uh, Michael Burnham. Uh, Captain Giorgio and uh, Lieutenant Saru. So they're going to be coming into the game. And, but they're far from the last. I mean, we're going to have everyone in, in Discovery in the game at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be digging deep into the show. I want to bring... like, I, I look at the art and I think, 
I definitely want to bring the Klingon sarcophagus ship. I think that's the cool, dark, gothic, cathedral-style ship. I'm like, I want that in the game. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I mean, just walking through the uh, exhibit here of all the different Discovery props and costumes, I am already imagining different versions of the of the crew. I want to see, you know, Captain Jorju in the, in the desert gear or in, exactly. uh, you know, official yeah. Starfleet uniform. The torchbearers, the armor is insane. It's just this incredibly intricate, interlocking, chitinous piece of armor that looks uh, really more high quality than anything we've ever seen for Star Trek before. Yeah. And, 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 and at what point uh, will those characters be available in the game? Um, they'll be available near the launch time of uh, Star Trek Discovery, so we can't give you an exact date, unfortunately, because we're still working very closely with CBS. We have to make sure everything's perfect. We have to make sure everything is beats with the actor's approval. Um, after we get all that stuff ready, we're going to start releasing it as soon as we can. Yeah. And, and we release uh, content updates every week, so I expect as the as the show evolves and new things are visible in television, you'll see them show up in the game pretty pretty Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so, I, so you're talking about the, the coordination, and that kind of interests me because I know that for the the, uh, the novels and the comics, there's a lot of integration. In fact, there's Kirsten Beyer, who's in the, the writer's room, who's coordinating things with the books and, and the comics. So you're having coordination, and they're, they're kind of telling you about things before they're, they're publicly known so that you can then... You know, program it into the game. Yeah, they're working closely with all the partners to make sure that we're all aligned on Discovery content. Um, you know, Discovery is such a huge, huge uh, event that they're making sure that everyone's closely aligned with the production team, closely aligned with CBS's licensing team, with the uh, with the all access team, and everyone just working hand in hand. So yeah, I think everyone who's involved in the Discovery content as licensors uh, is all on the same page, all working closely with the production team. Um, so, is there anything that you would want to add, or other things that might be coming up? I know there's the Discovery characters, but there are other things that, that people should know about. We've got a lot of game. cool stuff coming. You want to yeah. talk about Starbases? There's, um, yeah, there's a bunch of new features coming out soon. Uh, we have Starbases coming in, in just a week or two in the in the new client. What's a Starbase? Uh, Starbase is where you work with your fleet, so... Uh, you, you join a fleet with a bunch of other players and you can build your own star base, upgrade rooms that give benefits to you and uh, all your fleet mates. Uh, and then eventually we'll have voyages where you can take a, a ship and send it out kind of like like emulate that five-year mission, right? Say, pick your favorite ship and your favorite crew and send them off and it makes this whole storyline of what happens to them. And, and that's going to be that's gonna be a big part of how we bring Discovery content in is that we don't, you know, based on how ta- Star Trek Timelines is built, we don't need to necessarily provide Discovery story, although we will. Um, it's one of those things where just by having Discovery crew, you can create your own story, mashing up original series, TNG, DS9, with new Discovery crew and with all your favorite stories. Which yeah, is be really cool. That's what Star Trek Timelines really is all about. It's sort of collecting your favorite crew, making your stories with your favorites, um, yeah. you know, building your own story rather than necessarily exactly following what's going on. And we, of course, hope that a lot of people are brought into Star Trek through Star Trek Discovery and then start seeing all the older shows and loving them, similar to how, if you if you have watched Doctor Who, the newer Doctor Who series, we're bringing in many, many fans that then started going back you know, through the decades and past Doctor Who. I hope the same thing happens to Star Trek through our game, where yeah. if you come to visit through Discovery, you start asking yourself, well, what, it, what are all these characters? What do they do? You know, what were they involved in? 
Well, that's actually how I became a big fan. I've been exposed to Star Trek a little bit in the 90s, but I really connected it with, with the 2009 movie. And right. then I wanted to go back and see everything I, I had missed, and now I've right. seen everything. And, and yeah. it, it is important. These things can bring in new fans who want to kind of go back and, and see everything, right? I think Paul and I grew up watching it on TV as it aired. Um, you were telling just earlier in your panel, you were saying that your your uh, your later later on wife, your your, pers- your future wife, was president of the uh, of the Star Trek fan club, right? Yeah, at, at, at a college where we went to college together, she was president of the Star Trek club. That was right around the time when. Um, uh, Voyager and I think DS9 was when they were sort of both on the air at the same time so uh, that club would get together you know and there was no streaming at that time or whatnot. so so they would have club meetings so that they could all come and watch the show together and then yeah. talk about it afterwards uh, it was real nice a great sort of bonding moment to talk about the, the shows that they loved and I of course being a little nerdling in the 90s I was uh, well a teenager in the 90s I was going ahead and watching all the shows on UPN and, and Babylon 5 alongside them and all the other sci-fi shows that were out at the time so for me it was just you know it's just what you just what you grew up with you know? I think we really live in the golden age though where like you can if you want to watch all of Star Trek and you want to watch them back to back you can you can do it right it's you a lot of time it. it's a lot of time a lot. you can do it yep. you can do it yeah so we're I mean we're huge fans of the Star Trek franchise which is why we're so excited about you know a new show coming out we're so excited about bringing it to our game well when we first pitched Star Trek timelines we had no idea that a new TV series was coming in fact all we had were uh, a lot of the uh a lot of the people saying, like, well, the new movies are really cool. Would it be great if there was a new TV show? So this is a chance for us to, you know, finally say, like, oh, man, a new TV show? We can get in on the ground floor. We can do this. We can do this. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for, for the time thanks today. Thanks for coming by. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks again to Justin for providing that interview. Stars of previous Trek iterations had lots to say about Discovery at this year's Star Trek Las Vegas. These are all compiled in a great article on trekmovie.com. You can check that out in a link that will be down in the show notes. On the TNG panel, Brent Spiner shared that he is, quote, very hopeful that it is going to be fantastic. I hope it continues the wonderful epic journey that Star Trek has been on, end quote. Later on in that panel, when the cast was asked what advice they would give to the actors on Discovery, Marina Sirtis and Michael Dorn both responded by telling them to save their money. Dorn elaborated, quote, I work with quite a few actors who have been in the business a long time, and the one thing they always say is that they didn't appreciate what they had until much later. I would definitely tell anyone who is starting out to really appreciate where you are and what's happening. You are extremely fortunate, end quote. On another panel, Gates McFadden shared, quote, I'm really excited. I think it's a great cast. I love the way they cast it. I think it's cool that they're going to focus much more on one person's point of view. I think that makes sense for the kind of TV we're seeing right now, end quote. On a Voyager panel, Robert Duncan McNeil shared that he had the chance to direct an episode of Discovery, but couldn't this season due to scheduling conflicts. He added, quote, I would love to do it. I hope it's a huge success. It's good for the fans. It's good for the franchise. It's good for the future of Star Trek, end quote. And as a side note, McNeil has directed an episode of The Orville that will be airing this season. On the same Voyager panel, Garrett Wong shared that if he had the choice, he'd rather do a guest spot on The Orville than on Discovery. Longtime Star Trek writer producers Brandon Braga and Andre Bermanis, both of whom are now working on the Orville, shared that they are looking forward to being able to watch episodes of Star Trek that they haven't read the scripts for. 
Bormanes said, quote, I am so looking forward to seeing it and not knowing what they are going to do. I scrupulously avoid spoilers. I don't want to know. I want to be surprised. I want to enjoy it and see it with fresh eyes, end quote. Lastly, Kelvin Timeline star Carl Urban shared that he thought the trailer looked phenomenal and that Discovery, quote, visually takes the energy that J.J. Abrams infused in the new Star Trek films and squishes it into television, which I love, end quote. Before we wrap up this episode of Hyper Channel, let's go over some news about the upcoming Star Trek spoof The Orville on Fox. One of the most talked about pieces of news centered around statements from Seth MacFarlane about how The Orville relates to Star Trek Discovery. In The Orville slot at this summer's TCAs, he said, quote, I miss the aspirational place Star Trek used to occupy. They've chosen to go in a different direction. They can't all be Hunger Games. There is still space for aspirational, end quote. When a member of the audience expressed that he felt like the Orville looked like a 90s show, McFarlane responded, quote, I miss the optimism. I'm tired of being told everything is going to be grim and dystopian. I miss the hopeful side of science fiction, end quote. At this TCA event, there were also questions about whether or not there was any concern that the Orville could be sued by CBS, to which executive producer David Goodman said, quote, I think there is room for two spaceship shows, end quote. McFarlane responded by pointing out that, quote, Star Trek itself sprang from a lot of different sci-fi tropes that came before it. The idea of a ship, in a naval sense, cruising in space, did not originate with that show, end quote. He added that the Twilight Zone and Star Wars also served as inspirations for the Orville. Fox CEO Dana Walden responded with, quote, We're not really concerned about a lawsuit. We obviously have a big legal team. We vet things, so it's not like we're just flying by the seat of our pants out here. Seth's intention is to do something that clearly pays homage to and clearly was inspired by Star Trek, end quote. As for some other info we've gleaned about the Orville, we know that the ship does take some design inspirations from the Enterprise-D on the next generation, and the Orville will have a holodeck. It also will feature replicators, and a bar that is reminiscent of the bar Bones and Kirk use in an early scene in Star Trek Beyond. Executive producer Brennan Braga shared on Twitter that he's missed the kind of storytelling he was able to do on Star Trek episodes like Voyager's Distant Origins, and there's going to be storytelling like that on the Orville. Also, actress Petty Johnson-Gerald, who also starred on Deep Space Nine, had this to say about her experience on the Orville. Quote, Not only am I in space, I am out of space. Out of space in that this is so much fun. Not to say that Deep Space Nine wasn't fun. Deep Space Nine was crafting, almost Shakespearean. This is a different kind of thing, being in space. It is very naturalistic and very realistic, with a lot of funny. So it's a dramedy and a true playground for me. I look forward to going to work every day. It's truly fun, end quote. It's also worth noting that the Orville isn't going to be like Seth MacFarlane's other work. According to him, quote, It's not Family Guy. It's not American Dad. It's not Ted. It's something very specific and hopefully very beautiful, end quote. Well, that's it for today's episode of Hyper Channel. Thank you so much for listening. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or on the desktop iTunes app and get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, you can also find Trek FM shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and so many more. You can also get the MP3 file from our website, or you can grab the RSS link. Again, we'd love for you to join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field and it should come right up. Uh, and you can also find the network on Twitter at Trek FM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. You can keep up with me on Twitter at Craptastic Luke. You can also add me on Facebook. Just search for Luke Weir. 
You can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Don't forget, you can check out all of the articles I sourced for today's episode in the show notes. And full disclosure, some of the quotes featured in today's show were edited slightly for clarity. I'm Luke Weir. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Hyperchannel. Channel.